0: Lord, today we invite the mighty power of the Holy Spirit to come and, Lord, impart to us truth, because Jesus, you said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm praying this morning there'll be an impartation of a greater dimension of freedom, of a greater dimension of faith, and that, Lord, you will confirm your word with signs and wonders and demonstrations of your Holy Spirit's presence and power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Greta's going to go first.
1: Thank you, darling. Just before I start, I just want to share with all of you, we have just we did a seminar, a prophetic call to arms, um, equipping and a training on Friday and Saturday night, and one of the things the Lord, um, I felt, do on Saturday was that imparted to the people there, but also impart to all of Church Unlimited, Kaitya, the spirit of breakthrough, because as a church, God calls you to carry breakthrough. So if you um, can all just take that on board. And the second thing I was seeing yesterday when we were in the seminar was a gauge. And, you know, you get different kinds of gauges, like a rain gauge, a temperature gauge. But this was a faith gauge. And for Church Unlimited Kataya, I was just seeing your, your faith going to new levels. And, and I, I feel that the Holy Spirit, as David and I speak his truths today, the Lord is going to take our faith to new levels and it will just keep growing Um, You know, what was it? Was it an Elvis song or or one of those old rockers, the temperatures going higher and higher? Well, we want our faith to go higher and higher, and that's a gift of the Lord. What I want to share today, um, in summary, I've called it birthing and breakthrough and revolution, Father is after after revolutionary change in our families, in Kitaya, in New Zealand, and in the nations of the world. The Holy Spirit is the great change agent, and he calls every single one of us, he calls his church globally to partner with him, and for each one of us to be his change agent by his power. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. But Jesus said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I noticed we were singing a couple of songs and it was speaking about, you know, um, what what is possible and impossible. And um, something that's really been coming strongly to mind today is Ephesians 3.20. For you as a church, you know, God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. That's faith at that level up there. So you might ask, well, what does revolution mean? Here's a definition. A radical and pervasive change in society and the social structure. A sudden marked change in something. And that prophetic word I I shared in, in February, God is saying it is time for change. It is time for shift. Now, here's the question. Are you willing to be a revolutionary for Jesus? Here's the thing. Who makes the best revolutionaries? Radical lovers of Jesus. Because it's the passion of love that empowers us to be those on-fire warriors who just want to pray his will into being and go wherever he sends us. This thing on pray. For revolutionary change to happen, the Lord is calling us all to new levels of prayer and fasting beyond what we've ever known. Because everything is birthed in prayer. Praying together is the catalyst that will birth awakening, that will birth change in Kataya, and birth God's redemptive purposes in this town. And I really feel God wants you to birth incredible breakthroughs in your family and in this town. This is the time. This is the time for these things to be birthed. And, you know, John was prophetic when you said, you made a, a sort of a joke that, that we're now in Kataya and beyond. But, you know, that is the vision for you, for you as a church, Kataya and beyond. That is, that is your mission. That's why this church exists, for Kataya and beyond. Beyond Kytiah, he's also calling us to new levels of intercession for the nations. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So that his kingdom will come on the earth and his will will be done on the earth as in heaven. And... For these last few years, the Holy Spirit has been birthing a fresh movement of prayer across the world. There is a global prayer revolution rising up because God is after revolutionary change in the nations. And we already are some nations scattered across the earth where this has already begun to happen. And he calls you and me to be part of the international army of prayer warriors that he is raising up. And he's saying to his church in New Zealand, from the north to the south, everywhere, you know, wake up, rise up, take your place and take your stand in that army. It is time to fight for the soul of our nation, our own nation again. This is also the time to keep fighting in prayer for salvation and restoration in our families. And I just sense for some of you, the battle has been long. You've prayed a long time for loved ones. I mean, David and I, you know, we've got a large extended family. And we're in that boat, the same boat as well. But you know, some of of you have gotten a bit battle-weary. And for those that are battle-weary, God wants to encourage you. Keep on and hang on to his promises. The breakthrough is coming. The suddenly is coming. It is time for restoration. And God will not only restore, he will restore and more. Two mercies for every woe, double recompense for your trouble. And I also sense that some of you right now are very pregnant. You know, normally pregnancy in humans, lasts um, nine months. Elephants, it's a lot longer. Aren't you glad you're not an elephant? But some of you are pregnant with the promises that God has given you, and I feel that this is the labor phase now. And God is saying, "Keep laboring in prayer, keep pushing, and the suddenly of the birthing will happen." The Lord says, "I am the God of the breakthrough." I bring to birth, and I bring the sudden breakthrough. You know, God is like the divine midwife. You know, he even says in his word, um, do I not um, bring to the point of birth and not deliver? I, I, I. I am the one who will bring the delivery, but he calls us to partner with him. We keep pushing in prayer. We keep laboring in prayer, and suddenly he will bring to delivery he will bring to birth and so there's the pray and there's the go God is calling us to new levels of mission to go into our personal worlds like as an individual to be a bold witness in your sphere of influence whether it's your your family friends neighbors at work walking out there among the shops or wherever and ask the Holy Spirit to be a fearless change agent, because he is the one that that gives us that fire of courage and boldness. You know those Tom Cruise movies, Mission Impossible? With our God, no mission is impossible. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And our mission is salvation. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's just simply believing Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I just see, um, you know, this is God's heart of you working together with other churches to reach the town, Kytiah, and beyond. i just quickly tell you an amazing story that's been happening, unfolding this year, how new levels of prayer, fasting, and mission can bring revolutionary change to a town or city. This has been happening in Chicago, which is a lot bigger than Kaitaya, much bigger challenge. It's been known for surging violence, gangs, and it has the most murders in the United States. Many churches began working together towards lasting change in the city. Recently, they did 40 days of outreach. They began fasting until there were no shootings for longer than a week because people were just being murdered left, right, and center. Local pastors, the churches, even the city leaders and others gathered on street corners to pray for God's divine intervention. And what the lead pastor said, as we pray specifically, we can change the city. As, as you pray specifically, you can change Kantiah. Prayers then turned into action as believers across denominational lines hit the streets in ministry opportunity. Many things like feeding the homeless, street evangelism, a tent revival, events for kids and um, young people. And the pastor said, we intend to reach every home in Chicago with the gospel. That is the mission. Pray and go. Kaitiah, let something like this be your mission to reach all of Kaitiah. You know, the Lord's been giving so many prophetic words. There is an unprecedented harvest of salvation coming for our families and the nations of the world. We're going to see whole households being saved. This is the era of the greatest harvest of salvation the world has ever seen. So you and I are living incredible days. Let's seize this opportunity and go for it.
0: Well, I thought that was incredible, but there was only one amen, you know. It's like the rest of you thinking, oh, yeah, you know. Uh, Why did Jesus save you? Bring you to the Father that you can serve, like John said, and you can reach a lost world. He didn't save you to uh, take a cruise ship to heaven, enjoying all the perks of Christianity. He saved you to change your world, and when you get that, your life's going to stop being miserable because you won't be so focused on yourself, but you're going to get more focused on him. And I found out a lot of Christians think, like, I've got so many problems. I can't do what you're talking to me about. That is a trap of the enemy. When you start to do what Jesus wants you to do, he begins to sort out all your problems. And that's the good news. He put it like this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. And uh, I think it's great. I want to talk to you about faith that never gives up. I believe Greta's right. I've, I sensed in the Holy Spirit, God's going to share keys today um, through Greta and myself that will help elevate our faith levels. Stories told of Winston Churchill, he was the prime minister of the United Kingdom during World War II. He was a great leader. He led um, the United Kingdom uh, and allies to victory over Nazi Germany and uh, he became a very famous man as a result. And after World War II, he was invited to go to his old school and speak at their graduation ceremony. So he turns up and by now he's so famous, everybody wants to hear what this guy's got to say. You know, what is the secret that enabled him to endure and lead a nation to victory over a terrible enemy? And, uh, And so they did all the stuff, and then it came time for him to speak. And the place was packed with thousands of people. And he he gets up, and he moves to the podium slowly. He clears his voice. He looks out over the audience, and he says, Never, never, because that's how we used to speak, like that. Never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. And people thought, is what? Is that all you're gonna say? And then they realized what had happened that just in that one sentence, he had shared the secret of his life. That anything in life that you and I are gonna do that's gonna have any value, gonna have any worth to it, is only ever accomplished by people that are going to say, no matter how tough it is, I'm never going to give up. I'm going to beat this drug addiction. I'm going to beat this alcoholism. I'm going to beat this depression. I'm going to beat this sense of, I don't know what life's all about. Because if I'm going to trust God, not in my own strength, but in the power that He provides, if I won't give up, Praying, believing, then God can do something mighty. And there he is, Winston. He's all, I've only ever seen photos of him looking grumpy. I don't know what the story was, but maybe World War II was a pretty grumpy time for Winston. But uh, there he is in all his glory. You know, they tell me that the first man to fly solo across the United States from coast to coast, he crashed 86 times, 86 times. Rebuild his aircraft, got a new one, just kept doing it till he did it. Thomas Edison, anyone heard of Thomas Edison, the great inventor? He, uh, you know, invented uh, many things, but one of the things that we are familiar with that he invented is the light bulb. And, uh, you know, back in the 1800s, you had to use candles and kerosene lamps, but he invented the light bulb. But uh, he tried 10,000 experiments to discover a filament that when you passed a current through it, it would light but not burn out. And after 2,000 failures, a reporter asked him, Mr. Edison, aren't you discouraged that you've had 2,000 failures? He said, no. He said, that's 2,000 things we can cross off our list. (laughs) And uh, it was after 10,000 experiments that he finally found a substance that wouldn't burn out quickly. I mean, light bulbs burn out eventually, but he invented the light bulb. Amazing, amazing perseverance. You know, I think it's, uh, it's easy to start well in life. You know, you could be a musician, an artist, a sports person. Uh, you could, um, you know, have a Uh, An idea of a vocational career you want or could be Christian ministry or whatever it is. It's easy to start out well. Even the Christian life, Jesus said, you know, well, the word of God says it's not those that start well that will be saved. It's those who endure to the end that shall be saved. So it's like not only becoming a Christian, but it's learning to keep your faith in Christ right to the very end of your life. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. And he's promised amazing things. He's promised a glory in heaven reigning with him. He's promised a resurrection body. You think you look awesome now? Wait till you get your resurrection body. You will be amazing. And when Jesus comes back, those that have endured to the end shall be raised from the dead with glorious new resurrection bodies. I think we're all going to be seven feet tall. That's my theory. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to being taller. And, you know, often prior to a breakthrough, we're tempted to give up the most. Just when that breakthrough is around the corner, when heaven's about to release it on earth, I tell you what, the devil will work hard on your life to discourage you, depress you, tire you out, wear you out, cause you to give up, lose heart, lose hope, lose faith. And he's got you right where he wants you if you you bow to that. But if you say, no, no, no matter how I feel, I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep working at this. With God's help, I tell you what, breakthroughs will come to those who don't give up. I remember the story of a hothead in the early church called Saul. Saul was a Jewish Pharisee, and he hated Christians. He hated the early church, and he persecuted them. and Some of them got killed, and some of them got thrown into prison. And then Saul was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus one day to arrest more Christians, to throw them into prison. Well, halfway there, he has this encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus appears to him, shining like a sun, Saul is freaked out, falls off his house or house, his horse falls off his horse and uh, and then Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me Saul he said, "Who are you lord he said i 'm Jesus, and you know you 're persecuting me when you touch my people, you touch me and uh, and, and right there, Saul got converted. He was blinded. He goes into the city of Damascus. He's fasting and praying three days. God tells a guy called Ananias, go and pray for him. Ananias turns up, prays for Saul. He gets filled with the Spirit. His eyesight is restored. He gets baptized, and he becomes Paul the great apostle, and he gets out of that in Damascus. He starts preaching in gospel, in Damascus. His preaching is so powerful, he stirs up the whole city. They said, wait a minute, this is a guy that used to hate Christians. This is a guy that used to persecute anybody that followed Jesus. He's now preaching about the Jesus that he hated? What's happened to this man? And the Jews got infuriated with him, and they wanted to kill him. Pick up the story in Acts 9, to 25. Couldn't get a photo. That's the best we could do. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him. But Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gates so they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. I kind of think this is a very humorous thing. I mean, this is a giant basket. you got this big guy, Saul, that's now a hothead preacher. And you got a bunch of Jewish guys, maybe four or five of them. I don't know. And those city walls were mighty high. Like if you fell off one, you'd probably die or be crippled or something. And so they tie these ropes around this big basket. They, they dangle it over the edge. They say, Saul, you hop in there. What? I've got to go. Yes, just hop in there. And of course, it's the middle of the night because there are guards patrolling. So the only time they can do this is in the middle of the night. They don't clearly even see where the ground is. And so Saul gets in and and they're holding onto the ropes. And man, he's had a few too big Macs. So he's feeling really heavy. They're holding these ropes. Their hands are burning. And they just start to let the rope out to lower him. And then they hear the sound of one of the guards making their rounds. They hear the footsteps and they freeze. Because if the guard hears anything, they'll be, that's it, they'll be dead. And they're holding onto the rope and they're holding and they're holding, their hands are burning. And then finally the footsteps pass away and they start letting out the rope a little bit more, a little bit more. And because it's dark, they don't know when it's going to get to the ground. And, the, and then they hear another sound, the clink of a spear against a shield, another guard making his rounds. And they stop and they're terrified. And Well, we better not be found out. And they're holding on to this big basket with this guy, Saul. They don't really know who he is. He's just a hot-haired preacher. And finally, that guard passes as well. Their hands by now are stinging and burning, and they just keep letting out the rope. And finally, it goes slack. The basket hits the ground. Saul jumps out, and he runs away. And the rest is history. He becomes the great apostle Paul. Uh, wrote more than half the New Testament, led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ throughout Asia Minor and Europe, became one of the most famous Christians that ever lived. But the point of the story is they did not know who they had in their basket. To them, it was just an unknown guy that had managed to get himself saved and was now preaching about Jesus. They didn't know who or what was in their basket. And could I suggest to you, my friend, you don't know who or what is in your basket today because that whole story to me is a picture of holding on in faith, holding on in prayer, holding on believing for the salvation of a loved one, a healing miracle that you need, a financial breakthrough, a son or daughter coming back to Christ, or a breakthrough in somebody's lives, and yet they're in your basket, and you don't know who or what they can become I had a son in the drug scene 12 years. He's about to graduate from Bible college and become a pastor in his church. I didn't know who or what I had there. I just saw him in drugs but kept praying, kept believing, and God is working change in his life. You don't know who or what's in your basket, but I'm here to tell you it's worth holding on to the rope. Even if your hands are stinging, even if you're getting tired, even if you're hearing threats of the enemy, it's worth holding on for your marriage. don't walk away from your marriage, stay in your marriage, pray, get humble, apologize to one another, get some count. Do not walk out of that marriage. That's a word to somebody right now who's thinking about that because you're just gonna walk out of the frying pan into the fire. And you just trust God and hold on for your marriage. Hold on and pray for that rebellious husband that doesn't want to come to church, doesn't want to give their lives to Jesus. You don't nag him, love him, and pray for him and see what God might do. Keep holding on to your basket. Keep holding on to the rope. Yeah, that's good preaching right there. (laughs) Well, Emma thinks so. That's cool. I feel like there is um, one area that the Holy Spirit is especially saying not to let go of the rope on. And that is for the salvation of family and friends. And I believe that what Greta is saying, we are headed for days of incredible harvest around the earth. We are billions of people are going to come into the kingdom of God in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And we need to be part of that. And I asked the question, who's in your basket of salvation today? Is it a spouse, a partner, a husband, a wife? Is it a child, a grandchild, a friend, a brother, sister, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a work colleague, a fellow student at school? Who is God? I mean, we're not responsible to save the entire world, but there are people in our world that it's important that we recognize we just can't walk through life and ignore the fact that they are lost. We have to hold them in our basket of salvation. And, like Greta said, we got 30, 40 extended family. If you include all the cousins and the in laws and outlaws and you name it, we, we got a lot of people in our extended family. The basket's quite heavy. the Holy Spirit helps us hold the ropes. You know, uh, Greta and I, you know the story. We both lost our... I lost my first wife 11 years ago, soon after Greta's first husband died. And one of the things that got us through the grief is we knew where they went. Because they were believers in Jesus. Not because they were perfect, but because they were believers in Jesus, we knew as soon as they died, they'd go to be with the Lord in heaven. Because the Bible says for any believer uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to live as Christ, to die as gain. So it is, as Teresa said, when a Christian dies, it's promotion. When a non-believer dies, it's hell. That ain't any promotion. That's being sentenced to eternal torment. And that's why it's really serious that we understand that we've got to hold on to the people in our basket of salvation until that basket finally touches the ground and they get saved. 1 John five eleven to 13 says this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, Jesus. He who ha- or she who has the Son has life. He or she who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is living forever. You might get 70, 80, 90 years on planet Earth if you're lucky. Some get taken out in their youth. Some get taken out in their 20s and 30s. Uh, Life happens. It throws accidents. It throws. You never know when death is going to come calling. And the thing there that that scripture says, Jesus offers eternal life. He said, if you believe in me, even though you die, you'll live forever. Now, the question is, where are you going to live? Well, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to live with him in heaven. And when he comes back, you'll be raised from the dead. Your spirit that's been in heaven will be reunited with your new resurrection body. And you're going to live in a new universe, reigning and ruling with Jesus forever and ever and ever. You won't ever age. You won't ever get tired. You won't ever get wrinkled. You won't ever... I don't know if we even need to sleep, actually, but you just, you'll be perfect. You won't get sick. There'll be no pain. There'll be no sorrow. That's the eternal life Jesus has promised. And people think, is that magic? No, that's just what he said will happen. That's why he died on a cross to create paradise again. And he wants everybody on planet Earth to be part of that. God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. And and this verse is saying, uh, the person that has Jesus has eternal life. The person that doesn't have Jesus does not have eternal life. There is no other way to eternal life except through Jesus. He's the only Savior. Every other religious leader on planet earth has been a human being saying, follow me. But listen, Jesus is God in human form, come down to earth, died on a cross to take your sin and my sin on himself. Because, see, the thing that is going to separate you and me from God forever is sin. And everybody in this room has done wrong things, said wrong things, thought wrong things. And every wrong thing, even one little wrong thing, is enough, unless it's forgiven, to separate you from a holy God forever. You say, well, what hope is there? Well, here's the hope. God knew that we could never live a perfect life in a fallen world. He knew that we could never pay the price for our sin to be forgiven. It's so serious to a holy God. I was saying to the seminar yesterday, we we kind of think, oh, that's just a little sin. That's just a white lie. I mean, I just, you know, I just stole a little thing. No one's going to worry about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a God that looks down at heaven at everything you do, say, and think. And he's so holy. Even what we think is a little sin is a really big, serious sin to him and will separate you from him. And if you die with that sin on your life, he's going to be forced to say, I wanted you to come into heaven, but now I must send you to hell away from my presence. And you say, well, wow, we've all done wrong things. What hope is there? The hope is Jesus. When he hung on a cross, he wasn't just creating a ceremony called Easter that we could remember a guy that hung on a cross and eat some Easter eggs. He was dying for the sin of the world. He was saying, I'm hanging on this cross. I'm taking your lies. I'm taking your lust. I'm taking your sexual immorality. I'm taking your addiction. I'm taking your swearing, your anger, your filthy thoughts. I'm taking them on myself. And if you believe in me, I'm going to wash you clean from every sin and give you my gift of righteousness so that when my father Father looks at you. He sees you as perfect, not because of your performance, but because of your faith in Jesus. That's called being saved. And anybody who has the Son in that way, I don't talk about being religious. You can go to church and say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. It's got Him in your heart. You've invited Him into your heart. He's beginning to change you from the inside out. You can't claim... You can't claim to be a born-again Christian and go into your workplace or your school and be as bad as all the other kids and swear your head off and look at pornography in the playground with all the other kids. You can't claim to be a born-again Christian if you're doing all the junk that the other kids or the other people or the neighbors are into. You ought to be different if you're a believer in Jesus. There ought to be fruit from your life that proves... James says, faith apart from works is dead. Even the demons believe Jesus is alive and real, but they don't get saved. You not only got to believe, but bear the fruit of a changed life. God's not mocked. You cannot claim to be a believer in Christ and live just like the rest of the world. Now, I know many of us try to live a holy life. We stumble and fall, and that's okay. You can go and ask God's forgiveness, but if you're trying to mock God and you're being a... My mother used to have a saying, a home angel and a street devil. Like, you, know, you, can be perfect, <laughs> you know, you can be perfect, you know, in the environment of church, but you get out there, you behave like a devil. Well, that's not Christianity. Jesus didn't hang on a cross for you to be a street devil. He hung on the cross for you to be a saint. At home, at work, at school, in church, out of church, wherever life takes you. And you say, oh, but it's too hard. No, no, he's given you the Holy Spirit to help you. And if you'd get back to reading your Bible... You'll get some strength in there to live victoriously because how can a young person keep their way pure by guarding it according to your word? So I've laid up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's Psalm 119, 9 and 11. I memorized that as a new believer in my early 20s. The word of God is powerful. So I just feel like I gotta give it to you this morning. Is that all right? All right, you can handle it. You know I love you, don't you? All right, God bless you. Some of you are thinking he hates me. He's talking about me. No, we're just encouraging you to live right for Jesus. Acts 16, 14. I love this scripture. Going back to those in the basket of salvation, uh, Paul was preaching uh, in a city, uh, Philippi, I think it was, down by the river to some women. And it just says, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You have people in your basket of salvation that don't yet know the Lord. Here's the secret. You'll never open their heart to believe in Jesus. Only God can do that. But what you can do is show them love, pray for them, and as God gives you opportunity, share the gospel with them whenever those opportunities arise. And... Uh, but the key thing is just keep praying and believe that it'll come a day, there'll come a moment where if you keep praying, you keep loving them, God will open their hearts to respond to the message. You know, I used to be a high school teacher many years ago. I uh, went to teach in the town of Blenheim, my hometown, ended up teaching at Marlborough Boys College and... Uh, And at the same time, we planted a church in Picton, just north of Blenheim. And uh, so I taught for two years. Loved it. Mathematics, great subject. Love mathematics. Awesome. Any other maths lovers around here? Just wave your hand. You're my friend. There's only one hand, two hands, three hands. Yeah. You're a maths lover? You're a maths lover? Is that you, Ross, or your son? Are you a maths lover? You're not. (laughs) Somebody is over there anyway. I tell you what, there's going to be maths classes in heaven. I really believe that. It's just it's su- such a perfect subject. Some of you are thinking, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> I don't want to go. Uh, so, uh, but after two years of teaching, um, the church grew. And so the elders said, Would you please go full time pastoring? So I had to resign my teaching position, and so I just had to tell a number of my classes, hey, uh, boys, I won't be back next year. I'm just going to be the pastor of the Elam Church in, um, in Picton, and uh, didn't think anymore. We did that, and, and life moved on. Well, 10 years later, I get a letter from one of my former pupils, and this is what I've got it here. still got it. This is what it says. Dear Mr. Peters, you may remember me as a pupil of yours at Marlborough Boys College. I'm writing to you to tell you I'm now a Christian. My memory recalls me wondering what gives someone so much courage to stand at the head of a class of rowdy schoolboys and say that he's leaving to become a pastor of the Elam Church. The Lord never gave me any peace from that day on until nine weeks ago when I asked him into my life. I admired you for telling us all, although I didn't really understand. I knew that what you were doing, you felt very strongly about, and I realized it was for Jesus Christ. Now I understand totally. I had to tell you of my new life, as you were the first of many, to tell me about the Lord, even with those few words that day at school. I'm getting um, married in three and a half weeks. My fiance asked the Lord into her life the day after I did. Wow. Ten, ten years. I didn't even share the gospel. I just said, guys, it won't be back next uh, year. I'm going to pastor a church. And the guy has no peace for 10 years. God just got him. And, of course, notice he said, "Um, you were the first of many to tell me. So the Lord brought others across his path. And finally, he gave his life to the Lord. Listen, uh, when you hold the basket of salvation, you got loved ones in there. you got to know you've got a powerful friend in the Holy Spirit who's going to orchestrate events and circumstances, maybe even other people to work on those loved ones in order to bring them to Christ. But he needs you to keep praying, keep believing, keep trusting. And I want to close with a story. About a man called George Muller. George Muller was a a British evangelist, but he opened a lot of orphanages. In Victorian England in the 1800s, I think they looked after ultimately 10,000 kids and uh, kids used to live on the street. They didn't have orphanages until he, in, he brought them in uh, to the United Kingdom and uh, 100,000 educated in the schools that he opened. Uh, so he was very famous in the, in the United Kingdom for what he was doing. But one day he got really, really burdened for five of his friends who didn't know the Lord Jesus. And he said, Lord, I've got to see these Friends of mine saved. And so he began to pray for them. I don't know how often he prayed, whether it was every day or at least every week. I don't know. But he prayed regularly for them. And after uh, some months, one of them came to know Jesus. And then he kept praying for the other four. Prayed another 10 years. And another two came to know Jesus. And then he kept praying, because there's only two left now. That hadn't given their lives to Jesus, he prayed another 15 years for the other two, has 25 years in total, and number four comes to Jesus. Well, number five's holding out, and George Muller's still got the rope, he's still holding onto the rope of the basket of salvation, and he keeps praying another 27 years for number five, 52 years in total, and then Muller dies And then a few weeks after his funeral, number five comes to Jesus. And here's the point of the story. If you can bring the next slide up now, guys. There's George Muller. The point of the story is some people you pray for and hold on for, they're going to come to the Lord quickly. Others are going to take a few years. Some might take a few decades And there might even be a few, you don't even see them saved in your lifetime, but you'll be able to see it happening from heaven because after you're gone, they'll come to know Him. And the point of the matter is, no matter how long it takes, whether it's a few months or 50 years, will you keep holding on to the basket of salvation? Will you keep praying and reaching out and believing God for people in your basket to come into the kingdom of God. Because I'm here to tell you, if you'll hold on, if you'll pray, if you'll love them, I believe eventually they'll all come running into the kingdom of God. Because you can never outrun the fervent prayers of a righteous person. They are powerful and effective. And when you get to heaven one day and, Finally, it's all over. You're going to have a bunch of people around you say, thank you for holding on to me. I didn't want to know about God. I didn't know I want to know about this Jesus, but you held on for me. And here I am today in heaven, and I'm facing eternity with Jesus. Thank you for holding on for me. That's what they're going to say to you. And I think Father God will be pretty happy too, because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. So we're going to pray into that in a minute. But as we close now, I'm just going to ask you, because there could be people here, and you have actually never given your life to Jesus yourself. And so you don't have eternal life yet. And the Bible says, as many that receive Jesus, who believe in his name, he gives them power to become children of God. And all you got to do today is not get religious, not get perfect, but you say, God, I need Jesus in my heart. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I ask you to forgive me, and I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus, that, Lord, you would control my life from this day on and give me power to live for you. And anybody in the room that's willing to do that today, Jesus can save you. Jesus can wash away your sin. Jesus can forgive you and begin to give you eternal life. It might be that you did that a long time ago, but you've walked right away from God. You once were a Christian. You once were a believer. But really, you've been living like a street devil. And Jesus hasn't been Lord of your life. And today, he needs, to, he needs you to come back to him. So why don't we all close our eyes to help us concentrate this morning. And I'm going to ask you today, if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something simple right where you're sitting. And that's just quickly raise your hand up. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down. Is there someone you're saying yes to Jesus or coming back to him?